We're, um, our text is Matthew 11, and uh, Andrew will reference the whole chapter, but we're going to begin at 16, and we'll just read 16 through uh, 19. Truly I say to you, I'm sorry, 16, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come now to this passage and uh, we pray that we will be responsible with it. As uh, congregants hearing the word, I pray that our hearts will be receptive, that you will send your Holy Spirit along with it, and that we will not hear and walk away, but will hear and consider and plant and and weed and work it in our, in our lives. And for Andrew, I pray that you will give him your hand, that he'll speak truth, and you'll protect him, because this is powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I love the fact that uh, kids were involved in, in worship this morning. You guys did a great job singing, uh, if there are any of you in here. Um, we never planned these things, but uh, here we have a, a parable about children, right? And uh, I think it's, uh, it's remarkable to me, in a certain sense, that Jesus notices the children like he does. Uh, It's a theme all through Matthew. You you see Jesus interacting with children. Matthew 18 is sometimes called the the children's chapter uh, because it's so dominated by children. But here in Matthew 11, you have Jesus teaching adults, and and he's saying, have you seen the way the kids play in the marketplace? Uh, He's just so into life. Um, you know, we receive this and we come to this passage. It's a hard passage. I, I'll, I'll tell you that right from the beginning. I, I really wrestled with this the last couple of weeks and trying to get my mind and heart around it. And uh, these few verses, they're, they're not easy. Uh, but, but Jesus just so, uh, so lovingly and so wonderfully uh, points us to kids as a way to understand deep truths. And, you know, we understand that uh, kids wrestle and grapple with deep truths, deep truths about the kingdom, deep truths about heaven and God and all of these things. We experienced some of that, at, you know, as our kids grew and they played things like wedding and funeral. I have four daughters, so we played a lot of wedding. Uh, I think I had to officiate at a couple of those. I, I saw Josiah, I think, officiated a couple of those, and uh, um, it, we played wedding. We've had our funerals, you know, the fish dies and the funeral at the toilet. Um, we, uh, we had a mole one time that, that died, took a header down into some 
below ground uh, basement stairs. And so took the mole out and where we were, you know, I think Josiah was like six. We had you know, some foster kids living with us. Uh, we'll call them Jack and Fiona. They were five, six. You know, the, the girls, Lyd and Soph, were like three and two. So we had a bunch of kids all about that age and went out and buried the mole. This mole is now in heaven with Jesus and... I'm not sure about the theology of moles in heaven, but um, we can work on that a little bit later. It, it, but it came back, you know, a couple of days later, we see this mound of, of, of kids, you know, it was our kids and then our neighbor's kids were all about the same age, and Jack, our foster kid, was in the, in the lead, and he had this shovel, and uh, they marched triumphantly up to, to Lisa and the adults that were gathering and said, we found the mole. They had evidently dug up the mole, and uh, part of the conclusion of this is Fiona, this foster daughter, who hadn't had a lot of church in her life, she was like, that mole did not go to heaven. <laughs> uh, proof positive right there on the shovel, that mole. But you see the, the, the workings of the mind, right? Like, what, what does this mean? What is the kingdom like? I mean, we, we play a, as children and, and we work through these things and it's all trying to get our hearts around these questions. And Jesus wants us to understand that as well. And so he points to a group of kids who's, who are playing wedding and funeral and he wants us to see how it is we can understand the, the kingdom of God a, a bit more deeply. And so that's what I want us to walk through this morning uh, and try to understand. And as I said, it, it's not easy. It's not immediately apparent. Um, and it's going to take a little work, but I think it will be worth it in the end. So the problem that the Jews had with regards to the kingdom of heaven, and that's what we've been looking at, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, with regards to this study of parables. The problem that the Jews had was their expectations, correct? Uh, their expectations of the kingdom was that there would be a king, a messiah, an anointed one who would come and who would, you know, put to rout the Romans uh, and would get rid of these tyrants and then would establish a, a Jewish cultural uh, rule. Uh, in line with what they knew from the Torah, from the Old Testament. Uh, but that was what their expectation was. Uh, and so they were looking for certain things. They were looking for somebody who maybe was a charismatic leader, could gather a following, maybe somebody who had some military prowess. Uh, they were looking for a lot of different things. And these were the things that blinded them uh, to see the kingdom as it came in front of them, particularly in this passage, as it came in front of them in the person of John. Uh, the Baptist who went forward proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, pointing to Jesus as the coming king, the anointed one. And then even with regards to Jesus, they couldn't see it in Jesus' own ministry. Now that he has come of age and, and he, is, uh, he is ministering in his own might, preaching, teaching, doing all sorts of things. Even John's followers didn't see it. I mean, that's what the preceding passage is about. When John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, even John himself, and it says, are you actually the one who is to come, or, or should we keep looking? Should we see another? 
And so we see that our expectations, sort of, you know, what we are looking for, the prism that we're looking through, can cloud our ability to truly see that which is in front of us. And this is actually Jesus' point. You know, Jesus' point is, in that way, we're a lot like children playing these games. You know, we, we, we're not so easily content with this game, be it wedding or that game, be it funeral. We, we move from, from place to place. We oftentimes think about kids uh, in terms of their sweetness or naivete. That's not exactly what Jesus means here, I don't believe. I think this particular commentator by the last name of Tasker got, got it right when he says this. The general characteristic of children at play is that they think they know what they want, but in fact, they don't. They tire so quickly and easily of the game that they play. They constantly want something fresh. They are by nature restless and perpetually striving to achieve some further and more satisfying pleasure. And only too often because of their their waywardness, their discontent, the game will end in a quarrel. And, and Jesus is saying, this is, you know, what your fickle hearts, you know, where you think you know what you want, you have these expectations, would things then come... You, you just jump from one to another. And he says, just look at how you've treated John and me. John comes not eating and drinking. He comes fasting. He, he comes this enigmatic figure out in the wilderness. Uh, he was strong. He attracted a following. He wasn't weak. Uh, but, but he was strange. And you look at him and you say, you know, he's mad. He, he's crazy. Uh, he, he, he doesn't fit with what we want. But then I come, you know, much more engaged. I'm eating and drinking. Uh, but it, it's with people that you don't expect or you don't like. You're eating with tax collectors. You're eating with sinners, prostitutes, that whole uh, class of people, the unwanted. And you say, he's a drunken and, and he's a glutton. And what do you want? Make up your minds. You know, what are you, this generation of people? You move from one to the other because you don't know in your heart of hearts what you really want. And in this way, I think Jesus could easily be talking to our generation as much as he is talking to that generation. Because we reflect those children in, in so many ways. I mean, maybe even more. Uh, I've been doing some reading recently just on identity and how hard it, it is for us as uh, young adults even to, to come to grips with who we are and what our identity is. Uh, even as middle-aged folks, you know, the, the options being so many, uh, it's hard for us to know our own minds and our own hearts. And we see that coming through in, in so many different ways, midlife crises, uh, unable to, to launch you know, into life and career and all of these different things. When we, when we struggle internally like this, when we reflect those children who, who can't grasp, then the understanding is it's going to be difficult for us to really appreciate the message of the kingdom. It's going to be difficult to get past 
our, our temporary or our momentary expectations to see the fullness uh, of what is being offered. And we get stuck, and this is where Jesus goes next. He, he, he says, you know, we, we struggle with our expectations, but the truth, and this is what Jesus is saying, uh, the truth of the kingdom will exceed our expectations. The truth exceeds our expectations. Now, now how is that? He said, on the one hand, uh, you have John, or at least seemingly on the one hand, you have John. John has come neither eating nor drinking, uh, and you say he has a demon. He is a, a as I said, not a reed shaken by the wind that Jesus says. He's a strong man with a strong message, uh, particularly for the, the religious leaders of the day. You brood of vipers, he says. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. You know, repent. Uh, his baptism was one of repentance. You know, we might look at him and we might say, this is, this is the, the conservative. This is the one who is, is really standing on the side of truth. And this is the one who is calling for conformity to the Word of God and calling people to that same righteousness, to that type of repentance. On the other hand, you say, uh, there's Jesus. And Jesus seems to be, whoa, yeah, there's a step there. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, Jesus seems to be, um, Jesus seems to be on the other side. You know, if John was on the side of truth, Jesus seems to be on the side of grace. I mean, look at he's eating with these tax collectors and he's eating with these sinners and he and he's welcoming them, and so much so that you're accusing him sort of of liberalism. You're accusing him of, you know, being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, to be clear, Jesus was neither of those things. Uh, but he wasn't fitting the expectations of of ruling class. And Jesus says, you, you just don't know the kingdom, and so you flip-flop from one to the other, and, and, and you don't know how to settle this in your own heart and in your own mind. But what his point is, is that it's the same message. John and Jesus are not opposed to one another. John and Jesus are preaching the same message, and it's up to us to figure out what that message is. Now, why do I, how do I know that they're preaching the same message? Well, think about John. You know, we've said he, he preached this repentance and a, and a baptism of repentance. But if you turn over to, to Luke chapter 7, which is a parallel passage to this one, uh, it's, it's almost identical except for verse 29. Uh, and it says, when all the people, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, this is verse 28, none is greater than John. So Jesus himself, you know, accommodates and, and gives, uh, exonerates John as a preacher and what he's come to do. Uh, none is greater to, than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. When all the people heard this, verse 29, the tax collectors too, they justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. So who is it that was coming to John to be baptized? Well, it was the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, in, in fact, verse 29 goes on to say, or verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So Jesus and John are attracting the same kind of people. 
And their message, I mean, Jesus, again, we, we've emphasized the, the repentance, sort of the fire and brimstone nature of John's preaching, but it's not that different than Jesus' teaching. I mean, Jesus is teaching that you have to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. So Jesus is not just all embracive at the expense of righteousness and repentance. You know, in, in, verse, in chapter 23 of Matthew, he uses the exact same language as John to, to talk to the Pharisees. He says, you are a brood of vipers. You know, who taught you this stuff? Uh, this is not the kingdom. And so what we get here is a single message that, again, exceeds all our expectations. And I want to contend this morning will truly, truly, truly set you free if you're able to grasp it at the heart. And it's this. Both John and Jesus come preaching a kingdom wherein rigorous repentance leads us to an embraceive welcome in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. That is the whole message. It's, it's this idea that, yes, you are in your heart of hearts, in your actions, you are worse than you've ever thought on even your worst day. But through repentance, faith in Christ, you are more loved and accepted in Him than you ever would have dared hoped that you could be. You see, it, it, it moves us away from this polarization of truth and grace, and it brings truth and grace together in, in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look at what John is saying is absolutely true. What John is saying, I confirm and came to inaugurate this kingdom of grace in which we do exist. So don't be like the little children who aren't happy with, uh, you know, with the gracious message that Jesus, or happy with the truthful message. And we recognize that in our hearts. Again, we have such a hard time, even knowing our own identity sometimes, we have a hard time settling on a truth that is so comprehensive. You know, and so we find ourselves wandering like, yes, we got to stand on the side of truth. No, we, we should not be embracive and, and, and uh, welcoming of that group of people. We've got to stand for truth. Or we go over here and say, yes, it's all love. The kingdom is about love and grace and acceptance. And, well, you know, yeah, we're not going to so much worry about specifically what Jesus says. And it's truth and grace that come together in remarkable ways and really set us free. This is one of the ways, reasons why we actually have confession as part of our liturgy every week. You know, I, I know some of you maybe aren't familiar with a church's liturgy or, you know, why we do what we do. But it's our firm belief in the gospel that says it's a good thing for us to come and to confess week by week. And to acknowledge the, the ugliness that exists in our hearts, even after we've been saved. Uh, to acknowledge that and to look again to Jesus and to receive that declaration of the fact that in Christ, by forgiveness, uh, you know, faith in Him, we, we are received. You know, and that's, that's how we live. We're attempting to live out 
this message that, that John and Jesus uh, emulate. And, and my prayer is that everybody would see that. I don't know where you are uh, on your journey with Jesus, because we're all on a journey with Jesus. You may be walking away, or you may be walking towards, but you're on a journey with respect to Jesus. But the invitation is, you know, that real repentance will lead you to real grace. You can never experience real grace without real repentance. You know, and that's what, what Jesus is laying before the people here. And then we see this in, in various ways that we, you know, apply it. And I always think about this, you know, preaching, it's, it's not just explaining the truth, but it's also applying it, you know. So how do we think about this message of the gospel in light of some of the things that we face culturally? Again, I, w- I was thinking about the church. And what are our expectations for the church? Uh, you know, there are some... Um, Folks, when they come to church, church needs to be a place that stands for truth. We need to be rigorous in our pursuit of truth, in our proclamation of truth. No matter who it offends, no matter how hard the stand needs to be, other people approach church and they say, well, the church is about grace. The church is about love and acceptance. And, uh, you know, and, and some of this confusion has caused people to throw up their hands and say, I don't want anything to do with the church. You know, because I go here and I, I f- hear this and I go here and I experience this and I, I've been hurt here, I've been, you know, hurt there and, and I don't want to have anything to do with the church. But the church is about truth and grace. It's the kingdom of God come together. So, you know, are, are there hypocrites in the church? Have you been put off by hypocrites in the church? Well, you better believe they're hypocrites, and I, I can confess to being a hypocrite myself uh, in, in so many different ways in terms of my life, but I'm not hypocritical in this, is that I'm not depending on me, I'm depending on Christ. And as a church, when we hold these two truths together, this kingdom that that Jesus is proclaiming, that John is pointing to, when we hold that together, we can say, yes, you know, as a pastor of a church, my life is full of things that don't bring glory to God. But what brings him the most glory is when I go back and I repent and I say, I need your righteousness. And he says, yes, even for you, even for you, there is grace. And, and that's where we pursue as a church. You know, we think about this as a culture. I know, you know, me, like many of you, I've really been struggling with, with New York uh, and, and the openness with, with which they have uh, you know, embraced abortion up until pretty much any point in a pregnancy. And, you know, we, we feel broken because we realize that from our mother's wombs we are made in the image of God. Scripture teaches us that. Uh, and to violate the image of God, to violate those who are the epitome of vulnerability and, and defenseless. I mean, 
we're really, really struggling with that. And we know uh, that there are folks that struggle in different ways and, you know, come to those moments with all kinds of baggage and very sympathetic to, to, to those that find themselves, men and women, in those situations. You know, but our tendency can be to, to go one way or another, to say, ah, we got to come down on the side of truth. You know, or no, we, we need to be much more sympathetic and, and be open to grace. But what is Jesus telling us about the kingdom? The, the kingdom is one of truth and grace. You know, both of these live together. And we absolutely need to speak truth with boldness into a culture that seems to be the anti-gospel. I saw uh, one person posted this. Jesus, you know, the gospel says... My life for yours. But abortion seems to be just the opposite. You know, your life for mine. And we need to be clear that the gospel is where there is true, true life. At the same time, we need to understand that that same gospel extends to those who are struggling. Those who have made mistakes, you know, we, we know statistically that, that those who uh, walk through abortion, uh, a high percentage of them regret it uh, and, and live with that for, for their life. You know, how is it that, that we embrace those who are repenting of that? And, and what about even those who have performed abortions that, you know, repent and come, you know, the, the grace that is there? That's difficult for some people to think about. But the gospel pushes us in the line of truth and grace. John came preaching repentance. Jesus came eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Both of them, both of them symbolizing the wholeness and the fullness of the gospel. And when we really understand that, we really understand that it is greater than any story that the world is telling us. You know, the world tells us all kinds of stories on any platform, on any given day. You're going to be told a story about your identity. You're going to be told a story about your sexuality. You're going to be told a story about prosperity and what you can get you and how you can uh, thrive and succeed and all of these things. But what Jesus is saying is that my story will be proven to be the best. It's a truth that triumphs and exceeds our expectations. That's what he means when he says wisdom, verse 19, is justified by her deeds. Or as the Luke parallel puts it, wisdom is justified by her children. He says, look, you watch. You watch. You know, is the message that I bring you, the message that is pulling out all of the truth of the Old Testament, the, the message that is culminating in my life and death, the message that Paul will bring forth and Peter will bring forth and all the apostles, the message that incidentally is still thriving and growing today that started with you know an itinerant fisherman walking alongside and now has gone to, to millions, billions of people throughout the world, this message he says, you watch, this message is going to captivate, it's going to captivate people with its truth and its beauty. You know, he says wisdom, which 
the Jewish folks would have understood that. They, they had a strong history with wisdom and wisdom literature. Wisdom is often personified. Jesus himself oftentimes is the personification of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is justified by her deeds. I think one of the reasons why Matthew uses the word deeds there, ergon, it's the same word that is used back in verse 2 of chapter 11. When John the Baptist was in prison and he heard about the deeds of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and says, are you the one or should we look for another? So you see that inclusio between verse 2 and verse 19. But Jesus says, here are the deeds. Look at this. He says, the the blind see, uh, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. I mean, this is all awesome stuff. I mean, this is liberating, life-changing, set-you-free kind of stuff. And Jesus says, this is my story. This is the story that I've come to inaugurate. It's better than anything. Do you know anything in this world that offers that kind of story? Do you know anything that offers the kind of freedom, the kind of healing, the kind of redemption that the gospel offers? I'll put the gospel up against any ideology. And we'll say with Jesus, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Brothers and sisters, the the question is this, and it's in here a, a couple of times. You know, um, Jesus says, uh, he who has ears, let him hear, in in verse 15. Earlier he says, verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We're going to come to the table. And and it is the, the biggest obstacle that the Jews had to believing the gospel. How could somebody who is a Messiah, be crucified and hung on a tree. We know that everybody who hangs on a tree is cursed. But Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom where the weak and the cursed and those who, uh, who are killed, it's the very same vehicle that will bring life and will bring blessing uh, and will bring strength that we never could have imagined. Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus, is not stumbling over the stumbling block, right? And and that's the invitation for us all. You know, it's not an invitation to a conservative form of religion or a liberal form of religion. It's not an invitation to, you know, a conservative politic or a liberal politic. It's an invitation together as a bunch of people who strive but fail, as a bunch of people who are captivated by this ideology or that ideology, it's an invitation to come and to pursue him together. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He who has ears, let him hear. Let me pray now. As we ask the Lord to bless this word to our heart, as we set aside these elements for the Lord's work in our heart, I'll invite the elders to come forward now and get prepared to serve us. Father, we are grateful for this word. It's a word that challenges us at at so many levels. It's a word 
that woos us and invites us to a, a place of, of blessing, a, a place of uh, triumph in the gospel. Father, we, we admit that like children, we are often tossed to and fro. Uh, but Lord, we also admit that, uh, that there is one who is able to be our anchor and who is able to stabilize our very hearts. And so we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray, we thank you for these elements, for the bread and the cup as they are given to us for the nourishment of our faith. We know that we need that. And I pray for every believer here, everyone who has put their faith and trust truly and wholly in the Lord Jesus, that this meal would be for their strengthening Lord, there have been things in this past week that we're not proud of. Uh, There are things in this week to come that we are deathly afraid of. Uh, But you meet us here in a special way, and you remind us of the promise that you are with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Father, we pray for those who, who maybe are realizing this morning that they really haven't believed you. Uh, maybe they've believed in ideology, or maybe they've accepted a, a accepted a, an idea of you, but it wasn't really the fullness. And I pray that for those folks, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be working in their hearts, that the Word uh, would come to fruition, that great promise that where the Word is sown, it will not return void. Meet us at this table, we pray this morning, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.